It's an era of change, of ideals and cultures constantly colliding. We need brave people who will find the way of hope in the chaos, who will elevate truth in their speech and activate reform in their lives. Lee Sloan welcomes you to this Brave Nation. Hello, and thank you for joining me on this episode of Brave Nation. Today, I'm going to get a little bit personal. I've held off sharing some of my experiences. Uh, you might have seen a tiny bit of it on Facebook. But as I mentioned in this in the last episode, I have a book coming out. And this book actually came very quickly. I've been pondering some really big concepts over really the last decade. And there was so much there. And I knew it was going to take some bravery to come out and publish this. Well, I'm going to give you um, a few things from my book, a few principles and Really, what I've walked through in the last several months um, has really illustrated some of what I want to share today. So I'm going to share this really vulnerably with you today. Since our last podcast, we have been, our whole our whole world really has been turned upside down by mass genocide that's been happening, particularly of the Jews in the Middle East, not to mention all of the other wars that are going on all around the world. The unthinkable is happening, and it's going to require a courage, a wisdom, and a strength in us to levels that I don't think most of us have thought that we would need. As Christians, we try to live as best we can aligned with what we feel God requires of us, which is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And there's always this tension between showing people mercy and standing up for what is right and just and true. There is a time to lay down like a lamb, and there is time to roar like a lion. Sometimes the lion's roar of justice is really the best expression we can have of mercy in certain moments. On this podcast and over the next several months, I intend to walk in the midst of this tension and to share with you some of the key topics that are in my book. And I want to attempt to show you what it is to maintain both grace and courage the best I know how when the battle comes to your doorstep. Many of us have lived most of our lives in times of relative peace, and as such, we've learned to be peacekeepers. When you live in peace, the goal is to maintain that peace. But when there isn't much peace... When there's turmoil and war, we don't need a peacekeeper anymore. We need a peacemaker. And to tell you the truth, peacemaking doesn't always look peaceful. True peacemaking is needed when people have been sweeping their anger under the rug for so long that we need someone to get under there and sweep out all the ugliness. And so when a peacemaker goes in to do that, it can look Like it's getting messier, but they're going in not to make a bigger mess, but to clean it up. We've got to call attention to something that people aren't seeing to begin to heal it. Now, being involved in politics over the past several years has been a fascinating experience for me. Like most of you, I prefer peace. And so, like most of you, I didn't naturally want to poke the beehive of politics. Psalm 120 verse 7 says, I am for peace, but when I speak, 
they are for war. I have never more related to that verse. I love people all of all kinds and all beliefs. I don't mean anyone any harm, but when I speak out for what I believe is just, suddenly I create these self-proclaimed enemies that I never before have considered my enemies. So how do we as Christians love with mercy and yet refuse to become doormats for people to use? Like Jesus, I believe that we are slow to anger. But there were times when Jesus expressed his displeasure and called people out on what they were doing. And so I am challenged to tell a little bit of my story from my public platform. The truth is, most of the time I was respectably treated in private, but then dishonored in public. I know it's true. This is not personal. It's politics, right? However, I felt that my voice was unjustly taken from me. And so that's why I share it here today. It's a story that may seem to have little significance in the grand scheme of things. So why do I even share it? Honestly, I would rather not. I'd rather this not be about me. But my story is the thing that I know best, and my story is the thing that I need to steward well. I know that some of you have or may have experienced unjust accusations and being slandered in public, and I want to try to handle it the best I can with strength and mercy and pray for you to do the same. So as you may know, I ran for our city assembly last spring. Our race was a pretty amiable one. My opponent and I were friendly in person, and I had nothing against her except that I disagreed with most of her core political beliefs, and she disagreed with mine. Aside from some conversations about campaign signs being taken and a commercial of hers that I saw that wasn't accurate about me, there was very little I had to complain about. Then I was asked to serve on one of my city's commissions after uh, after she was elected. I was told that it was customary for former candidates to serve on these unpaid but important leadership positions in our community, and it was suggested that I begin with the Women's Commission. I thought that would be a great natural fit for me as I'm big on empowering female leaders. So I was put before the assembly for approval. Now there was another candidate that was up for approval. She got approved immediately, and then they wanted to discuss mine further. So my former opponent was the first to speak out to say that I had some problematic views that disqualified me to serve on the Women's Commission, and she began to quote this very podcast. She quoted me as saying that God created women to give life, although that's not the only thing we do. That was the first problematic statement that I made that showed that in her view, I couldn't possibly support women. The second was a statement I had made about the Me Too movement where I speculated that I didn't think that the Me Too movement would have been necessary if people, frankly, focused on only having sex with people they were married to. She said that this proved I didn't understand rape culture. So let's break this down. Let's think about that first statement. If you have ever had the thought that one thing God created women for was to give and sustain life, my sitting assembly member thinks that you may not be qualified to represent women on a women's commission. She thinks your views are problematic. 
I don't think I need to say any more about that. The other statement I made lacked context, but here's what I distinctly didn't say. I didn't say that rape was not possible within the context of marriage. I didn't say that marriage would stop all rape. The point I was making is that biblical marriage gives us a set of guardrails that helps us avoid the rape culture that she spoke of. If you look at the Bible and you know the historical context, it sets up very specific actions to be taken to help mitigate rape from happening. Protecting women. Marriage was instituted in part in very rough times for women as a protective measure for women. And so upholding the idea of biblical marriage as it was intended helps uphold women. But none of that conversation was to be had because I was not invited to the discussion concerning me. I was actually in California at the time that they voted, so I was watching from afar. Another political opponent of mine who ran against Stephanie Taylor, whose campaign I had managed, also spoke up in opposition to my nomination. He said something vague about the importance of diversity of thought, but then also asserted that we cannot permit problematic views to be expressed on our commissions. And so the vote was six for me and six against. It did not pass through. A few weeks later, it was suggested that I try for another commission, and so I chose the library commission. This time, my former opponent texted me about my views on the library before the vote. The context of our conversation was omitted from the public record because she didn't mention it in full, so I'd like to read it here. Keep in mind that when I received this text, I had already experienced this person using my words against me, so I wasn't sure if I should even answer. But I did, choosing in that moment to overlook the previous offense. I wanted to give her all the information she needed to make an informed choice for having me on the commission. She started out by saying this, I love your letter of application to the Library Commission. I just want to make sure that even though you don't approve of a book in the library for your children, you have no plan to deny access to others. It sounded like you were saying that, but I want to confirm. I replied, I think adults should have access to any book, but some books may need to be moved to an area where parents can check them out for themselves and or their children if they so choose. She responded by saying, Thank you for asking. Where would these books fall? And she lists six book titles with authors' names. I responded by saying, I don't know all of those, but some of those are classics and would not need to be moved. I'm speaking of more overtly pornographic material, but that is something we would need to discuss on the committee. Well, that was the end of the conversation. And the day came when I was up again for a discussion in the assembly All that my opponent put forward when questioned about me was the fact that I wanted to limit access to pornographic material. Nothing was said about the specifics I mentioned in my text. The mention of the word pornographic was all that was needed for a majority of people to reject me for that commission. If I had been asked to justify my position, I would have said that in order for all families to feel comfortable taking their children to the library, members of diverse communities should be asked to help us decide which books are placed where in the library, with access being maintained for all books. But the opportunity never came up. I really don't have any anger about not being placed on a commission. It would have been a labor of love for my city had I been appointed. 
I merely want to point out that navigating boundaries in political situations like this can be tricky. It's the reason so many people don't get involved. So how do we lean in and do this well? Well, I reached out to my assembly member and asked if she would have a brave conversation with me on my podcast. She said she'd speak with me privately, but not on the podcast. I know that she's an avid listener to my podcast, so I wanted to have this conversation here. Not only that, but when my private conversations have been used against me and I'm misrepresented in this way, with no recourse only to be publicly dishonored, I felt that the conversation that would fix that would also need to be public. I also invited my other vocal assembly dissenter to come on the podcast too, but he did not respond to my email. I was actually surprised that he opposed me at first because I had heard such good things about him and I wanted to believe that he'd act differently. I wanted to believe that both of them would value diversity of thought in our city as they so espouse throughout their campaigns. I wanted to believe that they'd be secure enough in their leadership positions that I wouldn't pose a threat to them. And particularly that a woman would empower another woman that even though she had a difference of opinion. But I guess I was wrong. Even to this day, I hope that that changes. I hold no animosity toward either one of them. And I even pray for them to know the joy that I know in Christ. I pray for their success in finding workable solutions that benefit our city. All of that does not negate the fact that I will also hold them accountable publicly. I know that if I roll over and play dead, then nothing will stop people in power from acting unjustly to others like me. My views are not held in a vacuum. They're directed by the Bible that I hold dear and was raised under and won't apologize for. This book has been my life's anchor for as long as I can remember. And yet I know the difference between my beliefs and what is civilly acceptable. My interpretation of these things may be different from yours, and I might not be right about everything all the time, but I reserve the right to my religious views as I respect others' right to their own. I would think had the tables been turned and I had been on that assembly seat, I would have granted my opponent the right to serve on a commission, since many people in our area would have inevitably voted for her and their viewpoints would need to be represented on that commission as well as those who differ. To acknowledge the fact that I can empower women and support access to libraries for all people, even if my way of doing it may be different from hers. This scenario in our little city points to a much bigger problem in our culture and in our nation. Christian views are steadily being edged out of the realm of acceptability in public life. We Christians are being marginalized, especially when we speak out about those views publicly. It's nothing short of hostility to the Christian faith. Some Christians' reaction might be to move toward silence. I understand how that move can be tempting, but I believe it's the wrong move. Here's what Jordan Peterson says. When you have something to say, and I would add, when you have something to say that promotes justice and truth, silence is a lie. 
At times, there are legal routes we can take, but sometimes all we have is our voice and the platforms from which we speak. Freedom of speech wasn't free. People died for it. But if we don't use our voices in the right way, we can end up losing our voices. We can lose our right to speak in a couple different ways. First of all, we can lose it by speaking flippantly. And we can also lose it by not speaking at all. Now, speaking flippantly will cause people to stop listening to you for the most part and make your platform very limited. But at least you'll have some sort of statement to make. But not speaking at all will render you powerless when push comes to shove and you really are in need of advocacy. When we let our boundaries be breached again and again, when we refuse to speak up for others who are experiencing the same thing, we permit injustice to flourish. If we won't speak up and sweep out those lumpy carpets when they're relatively small mounds, what makes us think we will do it when they are towering and threatening our livelihoods? It's going to be too late by then. Liberty is eroded in increments and over time, and it is up to us to stop the erosion. So, my point is, if you are one of my enemies, self-proclaimed enemies or frenemies who are listening right now, here's my message to you. I am for peace. I'm not mad at you. But when I speak, some of you are for war. If you feel this way about me, I want to challenge you to move toward a brave conversation with me. This is not about you or I individually. There is a larger war raging around us, and we found ourselves at a crossroads. We can either move toward each other or we can move away. I may disagree with you all day long, but you can always count on me to fight for you to be able to express your views freely with respect to those around you. I would ask you the same courtesy. Whether you give me that courtesy or not, I will always hold you with dignity and give you a chance to speak, but I will not let you walk all over me. It takes two brave people to come to the table for a brave conversation. I'll be here waiting. Reach out to me, and I'm serious about this. Reach out to me at lee at leesloan.com. I'll be honest with you. People say you don't get enough people to disagree with you on the podcast. I have to confess, it is very difficult to find people who will actually come on the podcast and disagree with me. I'm not looking to trick anyone. I'm looking to have some honest conversations. And particularly in the next couple months, I'm looking for someone in the transgender community. So if that is you, don't hesitate to get in touch. To my friends, I want to thank you for your time, your faithful support, and your prayers. I have friends experiencing far more persecution than I have ever experienced, and they have handled it with courage and grace. We need to buckle in for the days ahead are probably going to be bumpy. But God is our advocate. I pray both wisdom in the words you choose to speak and the timing and context with which you do so. I pray courage to undergird you when it's time to take a stand. And I pray that we can all advocate for one another 
as we face injustices of all kinds, that we will not abandon one another in the face of adversity. Until next time, I hope that in some way you will continue to be part of this brave conversation in our brave nation.